Hello and welcome to She Loves, a new podcast that's produced by Vivolution to celebrate, inspire and empower women creating positive change in the world. I'm Rachel and today I sat down with my awesome co-host Lois as we caught up with a superstar Staff Aswood to talk all things mental health, well-being, self-love, growing up through dance school and the awesome Stay Sassy empire she has built. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So, hey, Steph, thank you so much for coming on the She Loves podcast to chat with myself and Lois. Um, so, full disclosure, before we got started, I kind of fangirled when you said yes. Lois played it a little bit cooler than me, but yeah, I, I was like, yes, this is the one person I really wanted to interview. So thank you so much for taking the time today to chat to us. I guess we should probably start and ask how you're kind of feeling about the whole situation going on in the world at the moment. Um, how are you kind of taking steps to feel sane in this time? Um, I think it's obviously a very difficult and scary time um, for everyone. There's a lot of mass hysteria and we kind of don't know what's fact and what's just fear mongering at the moment. Um, so I'm trying not to read the news too much, uh, yeah. trying to focus on things that I can control rather than things that I can't control. So I'm very fortunate to have quite a big family that are staying with me at the moment, uh, which is definitely keeping me sane. We're trying to find reasons to giggle whilst kind of self-isolating. Um, <laughs> and I, I think just finding some kind of routine. Um, in some ways, I'm quite fortunate because I've worked from home for the last six or so months and um, just with my line of work and things like that. And I've kind of learned how to get routine in my life. And I think if I didn't, I would have gone insane by now. So I'm just kind of trying to share that with people as much as possible. Yeah. And I think it's big change for quite a lot of people. So I guess with yourself, because you are, you work from home a lot, being able to share that routine is amazing. So people can kind of almost kind of mimic what you're doing and build that in, which is amazing. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, you first obviously joined Instagram as Healthy Chef Steph, and then you changed your name to Steph Ellswood. Can you give me a full background really about yourself? Uh, well, Healthy Chef Steph started, oh God, about four or five years ago now. And it was just a means to share my meals online when I was recovering from an eating disorder. So I would post my breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I was starting to get excited about food again after it being the enemy for so long. Um, and it was almost like an alter ego. And I didn't want anyone to know about it. And it was just my little secret self-help page. Uh, and it started to grow and evolve. And I remember hitting 99 followers and being like, oh, I want 100, like imagine if I got 100 followers. And I was at dance college at the time and I ran into the canteen and I was like, someone follow me. My friend Ryan, who was my 100th follower, said that I should use it as a means to document my recovery, um, speak about it from a more personal level rather than just food. Uh, so then I started to, and I started to post myself and my parents were like, oh my God, don't do that. Like stranger danger, you don't know who's gonna see you and all of this kind of thing. And I was just like, no, like it's, it's cathartic for me. And if it helps another person, then I'd love to carry on with that. And I think over time, it was just a natural progression that I wasn't as obsessed with food. So I wasn't posting food all the time. I found a new voice and message that I wanted to share. And it kind of grew, grew into kind of my life rather than just my food. And it was getting to the point where maybe food was every six to eight posts rather than every other post. Yeah. And when I was given my name, and my Instagram out to people. They were like, oh, are you a chef? And I was like, 
no. Um, and I had to kind of explain the full backstory. Um, so it was. It just seemed like it was time. And I, I changed my name um, to Steph Ellswood actually a year before I stuck with it, and I panicked and changed it back um, because it was almost letting letting go of that side and, and kind of where I came from almost. But now it just feels right to kind of just be under my own name and be able to post what I want without strict restrictions or feeling like I have to post one certain thing. And, and yeah, it just felt like a, a natural progression really. Amazing. So was it, you mentioned that you attended dance school, was that kind of the catalyst, I guess, for like a long battle with the eating disorder or... How did you kind of manage that on top of being at dance school? Uh, well, I went to uh, dance school very early on. So I went to do my GCSEs at a full-time musical theatre school. So at the age of 14, I changed from being at a normal academic school to a vocational school. And I think around that time in your life anyway, you're going through a lot of changes uh, growing up and, and all of that and kind of developing as a woman and all of that kind of stuff. And that was hard to go from an environment where I'd been in a school of 100 people in a year to suddenly being at a school with 25 people in a year yeah. to join in year nine when friendships had already formed and things like that. And I was always told that I could only go to this dance school on the pretenses that my academics didn't slip and everyone else at that dance school was kind of focused on becoming the next Billy Elliot. They weren't really focused on the academics. So I kind of felt like the Matilda of the school a little bit. Um, and I think I struggled with being quite a late developer and things like that. And all of my friends had boobs and spots and I just didn't. And I felt like I was missing out. I hadn't started my period yet. And I just started to, I started to think, well, I'm not going to be the sexy one. I'm not going to be the one that I don't know, boys like, so I'm just going to be the thin one. And it was around the time that Tumblr, the social media platform, was quite popular. And that was a very pro-self-harm, pro-eating disorder platform. Um, and Skins was out around that time. And it was cool to be damaged in a way. And I think I just struggled with self-esteem so much that I started to punish myself by restricting my food. And then that ended up leading in me having a really really poor relationship with food and I used to get this sense of guilt whenever I ate something that I thought was unhealthy so then that actually led to bulimia and then the bulimia became a form of control so when things weren't going my way be it dance classes or exams or revision if I got too stressed I used that as an outlet it was a form of self-harm that for a moment took the pain away from other aspects of my life and I then moved schools at 16 and it got better for a little while but then I went to a full-time dance college again and there was people in my year that were 25 and I was 16 and I was still like a child and they were all kind of knew what they wanted from their career and I was put into another intense environment that I couldn't control and I again put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best and if I wasn't then I'd punish myself again and then that's when my bulimia came back worse than ever um, and it wasn't until my teachers started to notice that my hair was falling out, my skin was grey, I was losing a lot of weight. Um, I'd, I'd always been quite petite, so it wasn't super drastic until you saw me in a leotard every day. So like my parents um, feel really guilty because they didn't notice, but it was because I was covering myself in baggy clothes and it was only when I was in a leotard you could really see. Um, and my teachers made me go to my GP to get help. And then that's kind of where it all turned around. I was lucky enough to be supported by the NHS and to have some amazing treatment. 
um, and yeah, then luckily have made a full recovery over time. How long was that kind of period like your life that you were going through all this? Probably from about 14, 14, 15 to 19, 20. So about five years on and off. Wow, wow. And, and I don't know much about the dance industry, and, but I have heard other friends and stories. And I don't think that you're the only one who has been affected by this or has had a similar, you know, there are lots of girls out there who have had a similar situation. What would you say to girls who are maybe, who are maybe 14 now and starting that journey? What would you, what would your advice be to them? I think I, I lost, um, the love for performing almost and I kind of forgot why I was doing it it became more about my aesthetics than my actual passion for performing and I think to anyone that is punishing themselves or nitpicking at their appearance or anything I think remember why you started remember why you love performing the feeling it gives you and try and hone in on that rather than the smaller things the performing industry is still dated in terms of they want everyone, but back in back in the day, everyone was the same shape, same size, doing chorus yeah. line style dancing, and, and times are changing. And I think just remember that, and remember why you love dance and performing so much, and just yeah, really focus on that. Great piece of advice. Great piece of advice. Obviously, you've touched on mental health through the eating disorder, etc., and you put that tone onto Instagram as well, which is amazing. It's very inspiring that you talk to your followers very openly. Um. Do you often find that people reach out to you for help? Do you kind of almost feel like you've become an agony aunt as such? So people are trying to seek advice. How are you kind of, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? Um, yeah, so I, I think when you're so open online, people feel like they know you because you share your good, the bad, the ugly, and your deepest, darkest thoughts kind of thing. And it, it can be quite overwhelming sometimes when someone shares their whole life with you um, because it's behind a screen, it's, it's not as hard as saying it in person, so they can really be open about it. And at first, I used to take it really on board and, and try and reply to every message, and I'm not qualified to do that. So I actually booked onto a mental health first aid course, oh. and it, it, it's amazing. I can't, I can't yeah. recommend it enough. A lot of big businesses are doing it so that their um, employees can notice when other employees are struggling, and it kind of gives you the cues to pass on to that person on how they can get help and how they can not become reliant on you. Because there was a few cases where I would send a message back. Cause I try to reply to every DM that I see and I'd, I'd send a message back and then they'd check in the next day, the next day, the next week. And it, it became quite triggering for me because to not have the toolbox that maybe a psychologist has yeah. of how to create these messages, I almost felt like connected to them and, and I was so scared of saying the wrong thing and things like that so the mental health first aid course definitely helped me be able to put kind of a middleman in place whether it be their GP or a website I could refer them to a book or a study or something like that and and I think I need to I, I needed to tell myself that I can't fix everyone's problems but I can guide yeah. them down the right path for them to fix their own so yeah it, it was a massive learning process but now I finally feel like I've I've got the boundaries in place to be able to help people as much as I can without um taking it on like even though it is it's not on a face-to-face -face basis and you are like a lot of these people do hide behind screens that like you feel the connection massively and having that person to talk to that's maybe not related to them it's can't even 
yeah, I can't even imagine. But this is, therapists have therapists, don't they? Like you need yeah. to offload. You can't take it all on yourself. That's way too much to yeah. ask someone to do. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. I hadn't heard of that mental health course. I, uh... oh, I'm actually going to look into that now. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, really... it's so good. I learned, I learned so much from it. Um, I met some fascinating people that were also on the course for their own reasons. And whether you're in a big business or you work for yourself, I think it's, it's it, you learn a lot about your own mental health too. Like I really recommend yeah. it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, uh, in 2017, is that right, you launched Stay Sassy? Yes. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Tell us what it's all about, why you launched it? <sighs> yes, this is a, a big old story, so I'll try and get <laughs> as much as I can. That's okay. Go, <laughs> tell it all. Go for it, let it out. <laughs> Around the time that I graduated from dance college, um, my nan got quite sick and she moved into our family home. And she was diagnosed with lung cancer and my mum became her full-time carer. So her and I got very, very close. And it was like having a little sister. So we would wind my mum up and we just had a lot of fun together and we became really, really close. And around that time, Snapchat was quite big and I used to Snapchat her all the time and she grew quite a little fan base. Oh, Um, love that. (laughs) And due, due to my own kind of, um insecurities and and everything I was dealing with with the eating disorder and stuff I took quite a big step back from performing and my nan used to ask me all the time like why have you stopped dancing and I kind of told her and and she was just like well I, I used to love watching you dance so you should really go back to it so around that time I started going to dance classes and I started to post videos on my social media and people were really supportive and things like that and they said that I should put on a dance class and I was like, oh my God, I'd love to, but I'd hate for someone to come to a dance class and to criticize themselves for not being perfect, for not dancing as well as they thought they might have, and then um, not want to dance again. So I, I'm an um denied with it for a while and thought about a concept where I could do a workshop that combines dancing with confidence and mental health awareness and all of these kind of things. And I kind of thought about it for a while but never thought that I should be the person to do it almost and then sadly my nan passed away and when she passed away obviously our world came shattering down and and she'd lived with us for two years so there was just an emptiness in our house because she wasn't there anymore and her catchphrase on snapchat was stay sassy so every time she signed off a snapchat she would say that Um, because people started referring to her as the queen of sass because she was always flirting with her doctors or playing up to the nurses and things like that. We were very fortunate that St. Christopher's Hospice, which looks after our kind of area, used to come to the house twice a day, whether that was to look after my nan, to feed her, to wash her, or whether that was to kind of give my mum support through that hard time. Um, They were absolutely amazing. And I found out um, that they work predominantly off of private donations rather than um, support from the NHS. So I I decided that I really wanted to do something to give back. So I wanted to put on a one-off workshop where I would get a group of women together, teach them how to walk in high heels, dance in high heels, and then get in some guest speakers for an educational element afterwards. I decided to call it Stay Sassy after my nan, um, and all of the profits from the event were going to go to St. Christopher's Hospice. And I chose the smallest venue I could because I'd never done anything like this before. And I was like, is anyone even going to turn up? So it was a really small venue that held about 20, 25 people. We sold the tickets out in half an hour. Wow. And I couldn't wow. believe it. And we raised about 500 pounds for, for the hospice. 
and the event was just amazing it was like probably one of the best days of my life because my there was a picture of my nan in the corner my mum was involved and it was the first time I'd seen her Oh, I don't want to get emotional, but the first time I'd seen her, super I'm happy. Getting emotional. <laughs> um, and there was something so special about that event because it was such a small group of us. And we, we did this exercise after the dancing. So after everyone had felt sassy and everyone picked up the routine because it was super easy and fun. It was to a Beyonce song and it was just really empowering. Um, we did this exercise where we had to write down our first thoughts in the morning and then we crumpled up the piece of paper that we wrote it down on and we had a snowball fight and then we all ran around and picked up a piece of paper and read out each person's thoughts so we didn't know who wrote it um, or which person said what and it was so eye-opening to see that every single person in that room had written down a negative thought about themselves and wow. that was the first thought in the morning as heavy as it was and as, as, as overwhelming as it was it made us all realize that we all feel the same. We all go yeah. through the same um, thought processes and emotions and none of us are alone. And we yeah. had an amazing, um, amazing woman called The Mind Medic on Instagram who was the first guest speaker. And she kind of took that conversation full circle and showed us how to process that negative thought into a positive one. And the event was so special and, and I'm still really close with people that came to that very first event. And it was around a time where there wasn't really anything like that in London. There wasn't that place to go and feel safe and speak about your problems in a room full of like-minded women. And I decided that I wanted to grow these events. So we grew from 20 people. And then I had an event a few months later with 50 people. And I decided I wanted to take it around the UK. And I wanted to build this community of women and meet new women and, and give people this, this space to come express themselves, learn a new skill, but meet new friends and to not feel alone. Yeah. So now it's grown from 20 people and we, we now get 60 to 80 women at every event. I've done events in London, Devon, Manchester. Um, and, and yeah, like my, my goal is just to keep growing that and to, to keep evolving it and to keep meeting amazing women with amazing stories. And yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for it because I get to keep my nan alive while having my passion for performing still and also meeting some of my best friends. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for it. Oh, that's amazing. Such a powerful movement. I think that kind of realisation of that we're all going through the exact same thing. I might do the kind of negative thought, throw it away. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's really powerful, especially when, when women come together. Like sometimes there's been events that have just been so, like you can feel the energy from the get-go and like we all cried, but it's all been like a, a release and... I always say that people walk in shy, like the amount of people that come by themselves, um, they're timid and they're, they're, you can tell they're really nervous to be there. But we say they walk in shy and leave on a high. And, and that's kind of what I want to do as regularly as possible. And, and if we can raise money for charity whilst doing that, then that's just a bonus. Exactly. And it's, it, the power of movement is just mad. It's interesting yeah, actually with the, with the dance movement. When I, when I moved down to London, um, I danced for quite a lot of years up in Aberdeen and just not professionally, just really enjoyed it. And I came down to London, went to like a studio in Camden, thought, right, okay, this is, this is the movement I need. Like these people look wonderful. It was like full on crazy audition, like bam, 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 six hours. I was like, I just wanted to come and have a boogie with some friends, but yeah. it's a, um, are you going to be taking Stay Sassy online then? I've been thinking about it. 
Um, I've been trying to think the logistics of it if if I pre-record something or if my Wi-Fi will hold up enough for a live because I don't live in London so okay. I'm between London and the countryside and the Wi-Fi is very hit and miss. So I'm thinking about maybe pre-recording some stuff um, and, and posting that online for people to learn um, because I think whilst we're trapped inside it's the perfect time to master some new skills and all of that yeah. kind of thing so if I think that was super fun um, and light-hearted and quite easy to follow, then that would be amazing. Definitely. Push all the sofas aside. <laughs> Clear <Yeah>. the dance floor. <laughs> Family involved. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So you obviously launched as well Sustainable, if I've said that right. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any kind of, what was the reasoning behind that? Um, do you have any like ideas to grow the brand further or kind of what's going on with that at the moment? Um, well, it was February last year. Um, it had been a year since I had been vegan. And over that time, I had educated myself so much in sustainable practices that I could do daily mm-hmm. to make changes to the planet and the environment. And I was thinking about things that I'd already done and mastered. So the water bottle, the coffee cup, like these are part of my daily routine. And I wanted a way that I could create something that would be an everyday habit or change that people could make that would contribute positively to the environment. And I thought if I could make a brand that almost made sustainability cool again, or like, obviously it's become very current in the world, but to make it feminine and girly and accessible, but also educate an audience by drip feeding new releases of product um, that I knew from start to finish were made, sourced and delivered in a sustainable way. Um, So it started with the idea of the cutlery sets um, and I wanted to make them cute and easy to carry away with you and I work a lot from coffee shops and on the go and that was the one thing that I always was using was single-use plastic cutlery so I started taking my cutlery from home and obviously it was metal and I wasn't allowed to take it on a plane obviously so that got confiscated I remember I went to a concert and it was at the O2 through the scanners and that got confiscated (laughs) I thought it was at the bottom of my bag and I was like oh well okay let's look at an alternative for this And then that's when I looked into developing the bamboo cutlery sets. And then the other thing that if ever I got poorly, if ever I got a cold or a cough, my dad would always say, change your toothbrush. And it was just like his, before he said paracetamol or vegetables, it was always change your toothbrush. And I was like, right. And I, I just found myself that every couple of months I was throwing away plastic toothbrushes. And then that's kind of where the idea for the bamboo toothbrushes came in and then I was traveling quite a lot at the time always on the go and then we looked into developing the um, bamboo tubes to go around the toothbrushes so that you always had like a travel case for it Um, and so they were the two initial products that I launched in November it was it was a similar thing to stay sassy like I ordered a certain amount of product and my mum and I did all of our fulfillment from the house and we feel like we're keeping our post office and our 70 year old post office (laughs) we still do the fulfillment now like we really enjoy it like seeing every yeah. order in and, and and packaging it and knowing that we're, we're doing it in we, we use recycled paper and soy based inks and all of that kind of stuff and I love that process yeah so that started in November and I sold sold out 
in less than a month and I couldn't believe it. Then it was like mad panic to, to get new products sourced and made for the Christmas rush. Um, yeah. And looking into developing a whole range of products. Like my goal in life would be to be a sustainable version of Amazon that you could come on and anything you wanted, there's a sustainable version of that for all household beauty or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think it's just now seeing where there's a gap and what needs changing and trying to, to fill that with a sustainable and ethical alternative. What do you think your next product's going to be? Is that an exclusive we have or is it a secret? It's in the pipeline um, and we're just having samples and things made at the moment. So there'll definitely be some information on that soon. But we dropped some straw sets uh, last month um, and like we're just trying to release things every couple of months so that when when it, it's in people's daily routine that they leave the house with their cutlery set and their straw set and that's like down to a tea then the next thing will come out and then hopefully yeah. educate them with releases um and and little tiny changes that one don't break the bank but two are easy and accessible for everyone uh, so yeah it's, it's really exciting and it, it's weird to say that I have my own company and things like that but I'm really enjoying the process and things like that so Yes, love it. Which female-led businesses? Yeah, <laughs> love that. Yeah, we. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, what um, what made you go vegan? Well, I it it's actually hilarious because no one believed me when I said I was even going vegetarian because I was quite a big carnivore before. Uh, mm. I didn't think a meal was was a meal without meat. I used to snack on packs of ham and. I was away with my friend Zanna, which I'm sure you guys know. She's amazing. She'd gone vegetarian and she was kind of going through her plant-based journey. And it was our first trip away to the Isle of Wight. And we sat down at dinner and I was tucking into some fish. And I just said to her, I was like, why, why have you gone vegetarian? And, and why are you thinking about going vegan? And she was like, do you really want to know? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I love learning. I love learning new information. And then I'll make my own decision from that. Mm-hmm. And she kind of told me her reasons and we watched a documentary that night and I was like, oh my God, wow, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know any of this happened. I didn't know animals were treated this way. I didn't know the effects it had on the environment. I want to do my bit. I want to do what I can to make a difference. And after that one documentary, um, I decided that I was going to go vegetarian. And on our three day trip in the Isle of Wight, I was vegetarian the whole time. I then came home and said to my parents, we no longer eat meat in this house. I was like, everything needs to be done out of the fridge. I'm a vegetarian. I am doing my bit to help run it. And, and my mum was like, okay, hun, calm down. It's been 36 hours. Um, let's not do anything drastic. And that was, that was the last time I ate meat or fish was that one, one, one meal with Zana. After that conversation, I'd gone vegetarian. No one believed wow. me. No one thought it would last longer than a week. Um, and that was in... I want to say the July or the August, I can't remember. And then the following January, um, I heard about Veganuary and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if it works for me. And so I went, I went vegan for the month and I absolutely loved it. Like I, I really fell in love with cooking again because I'd got so lazy because instead of just keep cooking meat on a grill and then doing something fancy with vegetables, I was like, okay, what can I do with a bean? What can I do with a lentil? How am I going to find my protein? And all of that kind of stuff. And it fit into my lifestyle. I loved the food I was eating. I loved the way it made me feel. Um, I, w- I was worried about it, I can't lie, because of my history with an eating disorder. Yeah. I was like, is this a new form of restriction? So I really had to sit with myself 
And I was like, no, this isn't about me. This isn't about the way I look. This isn't about aesthetics. This is about something bigger than that. It's me making a conscious change in my diet. It's easy for me. I'm enjoying it. I don't feel restricted. There's an abundance of food that I can still eat. And it was probably the most positive thing I could have done because now instead of eating for my appearance, I'm eating for the animals, I'm eating for the planet, I'm eating for the environment. So yeah, I just, I've just not looked back really. What, um, what documentary was it that you watched? Just so uh, Cowspiracy. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I've still, I've still not watched Cowspiracy. I, I need to watch that. No, I watched um, What the Health and Forks Over Knives and that was it for me. I was done. I was vegan overnight. I was yeah. like... Like, yeah. but everyone says to watch Casperity, but then I know yeah I because it's animals right it's the animal cruelty side of it yeah and and the kind of environmental side of it um but I cried the whole time and I was like well if I'm crying it must be affecting me so I can't mm-hmm. just have this information and not do anything about it um so yeah that's kind of where it all started cool. is your mum and dad still um vegan or are they vegetarian or <laughs> Did you manage They're still heavy meat eaters. Um, I mean, to quote my dad, I apologise for a swear word, but if ever I'm cooking, he's like, oh, what are you cooking? And then I'll explain it. And he'll be like, ah, yes, vegan shit. So that's, <laughs> that's exactly um, what my stepmom says. <laughs> yeah. My, my mum will try everything. My mum will try yeah. everything. I won't. Um, my boyfriend is now vegan. Amazing. Um, and he's, he's become quite a hardcore vegan. So he'll send me all these oh. new studies and documentaries. And I'm like, hun, love that. But I'm already there. Then it's a journey. Love it. So I know that you mentioned you're very kind of close to your family, your mum, your nan championed everything that you did. And your mum is now, well, looks like your biggest fan. Do you do quite a lot of volunteer work together? You do a lot of community outreach. Um, we'd love to hear kind of different programs that you're involved with. Yeah, well, um, a few years ago, it was when we had a really snowy, I think it was a snowy February or March, a couple of years ago. And although I don't live in London, I still travel to London quite a lot. And my station that I go into is Charing Cross. And around Charing Cross, there's a massive community of, of rough sleepers and, and homeless people. and. And I've always found it really difficult. And I've always seen my mum, my mum's a healer, like whoever she's around, they always manage to speak about their deepest, darkest thoughts. Even if it's just on a train journey, someone will see my mum and just know that it's safe for them to open up to her. And I've kind of seen that my whole life. And when you're younger, you're like, oh my God, that is so embarrassing. Like, why are you talking to a stranger? Um, Like, why are you going over to compliment that woman that you don't know her? But now I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful that I've grown up around that because I'll go up to someone in Sainsbury's and be like, oh my God, I love your top. And they look at me like I'm a crazy person. And then I stop and I'm like, oh my God, I'm my mother. Um, <laughs> and, and I do love it because I've, I've seen her nurturing side for so long and she's always stopped and asked people if they're okay and things like that. And I, I started to do that myself. So if I was walking around that kind of Charing Cross area, instead of going up and giving people money, I'd say, can I get you anything? And there was a woman outside in the freezing cold and it was snowing and she said, oh, can I get a coffee? And I, I looked around, and I was like, okay, yeah, let me find a coffee shop. I'll be two minutes. And she was like, oh, the cheapest option is to go into that Tesco's Express or whatever. And she was like, there's a coffee machine in there. So I was like, okay. I could see she was freezing. And I, so I, I looked around Tesco's and I got her a bottle of water and a coffee and a pair of tights and gloves and all that. And I came out and gave it to her and she was so grateful. And I was like, oh, I'm, I've, I've made her warm with that coffee for 
five, 10 minutes, but she's still going to be in that situation. What can I do to make a, a greater difference? So I kind of panicked and I, 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 that sat with me for a while and I'm, I'm so sensitive. I was like, oh, I've come home to my house and I'm going to have a warm night's sleep and she's not. So on my stories, I kind of just spoke about this and I said, like, I'd love to set up a crowdfunding page. Um, so I did and I wasn't expecting the reaction that I had. I think we raised £3,000 overnight. Wow. And I couldn't believe it because then I was like, oh my God, I've got all this money. What am I going to do with it? So then I was like, okay, well, why don't I go to a store and buy sleeping bags and we go out and hand it, hand it out and I was kind of asking for people's advice on what I should do with this money and then someone said that I should reach out to organizations that are already in place and donate the money to them because they'll be able to do more with that money and I was like great idea so I spent the whole next day emailing like homeless shelters and soup kitchens and everything like that I think I must have emailed about 25 to 30 people and no one got back to me bar two organizations and I was shocked and I was like right now that like it's freezing cold outside and there's so many people suffering why why is no one jumping at this money um so two organizations got back to me one was called the soup kitchen in Tottenham Court Road and one was called Four Walls Charity and they both had very different outlooks on how they could help but both very positive mm -hmm. so then a week later I was booked in to volunteer at the soup kitchen and I'm, I got so close with the director Alex who is amazing and he has made so many positive changes at Tottenham Court Road and I, I volunteered a bit with Four Walls as well and I just fell in love with it because for that brief time like I connected with people and I could ask them about their lives and my goal was to make every person that walked into that door smile because they could have had the worst night's sleep and they could have not slept at all something could have happened to them in the night and they come in and they're, they're angry at the world and if I could make them smile make them a hot drink feed them a hot meal I felt like I'd made a positive change in their life for such a short period of time but I knew that the, the soup kitchen were doing so many great things to get them back into society so it, it's hard when life takes over and, and I'm self-employed so I don't have a structured routine where I can volunteer regularly but I donated the money to the soup kitchen where they put it to amazing use um, and now I try and I come in and, and volunteer when I can um, and it's just I, I can't recommend it enough because yeah. any ego worries that, that you're worrying about any small problems that you're worrying about seem like nothing because you, you look at people who are so kind and generous, who have nothing. There's, there's a woman called Mary at the soup kitchen. And if ever there's leftover food, she takes it to either feed to the birds or to feed to her friends that she sees that, that don't have the confidence to go into that environment. Um, and I'm just like, you literally have, have nothing, but you want to take any, anything to help other people. And it just really puts everything in perspective. And the fact that I could do that with my mum and some of my closest friends, it just... Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. That's amazing. It seems like, yeah, over everything that you kind of do, you're always nurturing others. So you are your mum. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be one day. When, when I grow up, I want to be, I want to be a mama Sue. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some questions that we're asking everyone at the end. Just like some quick fire, nothing serious, like just some fun. Um, actually, the first one isn't that. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite serious <laughs> yeah so we'll just we'll just go between ourselves and ask them mm -hmm. so what inspires you to get up in the morning oh my what I know that's why I, I thought oh it's heavy um do you know what I think a couple of months ago I made a mood board and a vision board with all of my goals whether it was um business goals relationship goals um mental health goals or anything like that 
and I have a big old cork board with pins of pictures that I've printed off or cut out from magazines and seeing that every morning um, my goal is to get all of those images taken off the board and achieve them and put them into a scrapbook of all my achievements yeah. so I think every time something comes off of that I put something new on and that's kind of my motivation because I'm like okay I've got these big dreams um, they seem unachievable right now and the only way I'm going to keep going is if I take day by day so kind of let's smash the day and let's get closer to those goals love that we should all have a mood board then yeah. absolutely we've got the months we need to create them now <laughs> do you have a daily affirmation oh, I do I have a few um, I have like a quote that I live by um, okay. it's actually from the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off have you seen it? <laughs> yes, I love Great that film. film. Great and film. No, no, no. It's from like the 80s or 90s yeah. or something. It's, it's so dated, but it's a classic. And it's life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And that's my favorite quote to live by. And then I had a, a life coach for a short period of time. And she changed my life. She's called The Completion Coach on Instagram. And she's amazing and a daily affirmation that she taught me to do every time I walk past a mirror or wash my hands or can come into contact with my reflection. You make eye contact with yourself and you say, I am enough, I am more than enough, I trust myself and I love myself. Oh, that's so nice as well. I, I love that. And I know that you've talked a lot about your mom and your close friends, but do you have a female role model or inspiration? Um, I know it's cheesy, but it probably is um, my mum or my nan. What do you wish you could have told your 15-year-old self? I, th I think it's hard because everything that I went through as a 15-year-old has kind of led me to where I am now. But one thing I wish I'd told myself is to just breathe and settle in the moment and stop worrying about things that you can't control um, and, and, and be kinder to yourself in that moment. So don't punish punish yourself for things that you can't change and do you have any favorite books or podcasts oh oh <laughs> I, um, I love the doctor's kitchens podcast because okay. he's, he's so good at talking and the people he interviews are uh, really inspiring but he also does it whilst cooking so there's like another thing going on uh, wow. which I love I also love Jonathan Van Ness's podcast he's oh, fabulous yeah. Um, that's called is it is it getting, getting curious? curious yeah that's yeah. it I like that, um, one. I like that and then books um I loved the book you can heal your life by Louise Hay yeah I think I think that's probably my favorite one I've not heard of either three so I'll be <laughs> and also um Eckhart Tolle any any podcast with him or book or even just a, a quick meditation on YouTube he's amazing yeah I was actually watch one of Russell Brand's videos yesterday and he brought up Eckhart Tolle so it's something I'm definitely going to be listening to about the conceptual mind and being in the now yeah amazing. he's amazing he's just so wholesome and wise and his laugh is the cutest thing in the world <laughs> see that across the room <laughs> next one well last one actually what are your tips for how someone can create positive change in the world I think you can only be in the position to make positive changes in the world when you feel positive in yourself. So before you try to heal your surroundings, focus on healing yourself, whether that's through meditations or affirmations or journaling, um, something that my boyfriend and I do every night, either on FaceTime or when we're together, is share three highlights or three gratitudes from the day. 
um, one improvement from the day and one intention. And I think that just really helps you settle in to, to what has happened in the day to process it and to really, really fight to find good things, even if it was the worst day in the world. And I think just, yeah, constantly working on yourself. And then once you have that love for yourself, project, project that and shine it to the rest of the world. Yeah, I read a quote that said, you can't love anyone else until you love yourself properly. Mm. and it's so true it's true so true well that is us gonna round up thank you so so much Steph for being part of She Loves um I think it was a very very inspiring episode so thank you and thank you for everything that you're doing to make the world a better place oh thank you so much for having me this podcast is produced by Vivolution and is hosted by Judy Nadell, Rachel Forsyth Jenny Edwards and Lois Johnston. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and you can find us at weareshelovescom and on Instagram at weareshelovesc